Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a new quarterback in New Orleans. The four-time defending NFC South champions might be headed for five because they've got Jameis Winston. Did you see this guy on Monday Night Football against the Jaguars? All he does is win. Stun. <laughs> That's right. Hey, going to eat W's this year, man, in, in the Big Easy. So Winston is in a battle with Taysom Hill, as you know, and Sean Payton has not declared a winner as we do this podcast. It might He might at the end of this game uh, that is towards halftime as we're, as we're doing this. But it was going to be a battle between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill tonight. And Winston got the start, and this was his big opportunity. This was his bright lights. Now, this is a guy who's played, by the way, in some pretty big games. Ever heard of the national championship? They won one of those at Florida State. Um, didn't make it to the postseason with the Bucs, but, but did play on, on some, some big stages, you know, games uh, that were nationally televised one year. Uh, I believe they were 9-7 and seven under Dirk Cutter. So he, he's been there before. Um, Look, he threw for 5,000 yards his last season. Everybody's going to hone in, and rightfully so, on the 30 interceptions, but he also had 33 touchdowns. That said, um, he sat on the bench. He took a gamble. He went to New Orleans as the number three quarterback behind Drew Brees and Hill. He learned his craft. He's had a good training camp by all outward appearances. And on Monday night, he came out firing, okay, which we have seen Jameis do. And he threw a couple of, of deep balls to Marquez Callaway, who was becoming sort of the big name there without Michael Thomas in, in New Orleans. Marquez Callaway made two of the biggest circus catches you will see on back-to-back deep balls. Uh, one, he's falling down, two guys on top of him. The ball uh, about six inches from the turf lands in his outstretched arms, touchdown. Comes back the next one. Cover zero, no defensive backs in the secondary. You know, everybody's press man. Uh, free blitzer, a guy they cannot account for, right? Because the quarterback, he has to protect himself by getting rid of the football. Throws it down the field, man coverage. Marquez Callaway this time one-handed on like a 34-yard touchdown pass. Uh, manages to get his knees down in the end zone. Two touchdowns and three possessions for Jameis Winston. I'm... I got a projection. Da, 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 da. Sports Day Tampa Bay is projecting the winner of the quarterback derby in New Orleans is Jameis Winston. Wait a minute. Are you allowed to put that out early? I thought, you know, draft tweets or, you know, projections <laughs> were not allowed in this. Well, I'm putting it out there, babe. No one's listening live. So, you know, they have to get this on a recording. But. Jameis Winston is your new quarterback in the New Orleans Saints. How do you feel about that, Tampa Bay? We threw for 5,000 yards the last time he started a full season. Yeah, he threw did. for 33 touchdowns. Oh, you could argue 40. <laughs> well, 
You're, talk, you're counting the other teams. Yeah, well, there was 40 touchdowns scored That's on throws right. by Jameis. So. Yeah. In fact, four of his first throws in games were touchdowns, not for the Bucks. And his last one of the season. And his last, yeah, his last one of his career in Tampa. Listen, people say, well, you bash Jameis. I'm not bashing Jameis. I know how talented he is. I covered all five years. I watched every throw and damn near everyone in practice as well. Throwing the football has never been his problem. And it and it continues to not be his problem. The, the 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 truth is this that the Saints probably would have beaten the Bucks last year if Drew Brees could throw it, you know, as long as a bathtub, but he couldn't. His arm was shot, he had a torn rotator, he you know, all kinds of stuff going on with him, ribs, all that. Uh the one touchdown they had down the field was a flea flicker from Jameis Winston. So the Saints were a great football team a year ago. I mean, they beat the snot out of the Bucs twice. And I granted the Bucs got better as the year went on. Um, you know, but we can't forget 34 to 3 in Tampa. In fact, they had beaten them five straight times into the playoff game. And so the Bucs won the Super Bowl. They didn't win the division. And for a good reason. The Saints are better. They were better. They're better on defense at the time. Um, certainly, you know, they they were better offensively. Uh with the exception of the fact that the quarterback was limited. He was limited. That's why they were using Taysom Hill in various, uh, you know, gimmick ways, both on special teams, tight end, fullback, quarterback, all that stuff, red zone. So don't forget this too. Sean Payton is arguably the best play caller in football, period, right? And if you don't believe me, consider the fact that he's gone eight and one the last two seasons without Drew Brees, eight and one. Who wouldn't take that, right? With your backup quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater five and zero, Taysom Hill three and one a year ago. What do you always say? If your backup quarterback comes in, if you need him for three games, you hope he wins one game. If he comes <laughs> in for five games, you hope he wins one game. <laughs> That's right. Peyton went eight and one. Yeah, he went eight and one. So, I mean, it's a, it shows you, you know, both how good the football team is, but in particular, how well the play caller can adapt to who his quarterback is, and that's what Sean Payton has done. But make no mistake. They didn't have a vertical passing game a year ago. They got one now, and and it's Jameis Winston's. Now, what I would say is I've seen this movie before, right? I've seen it in preseason. Hell, I've seen it in the regular season. I, I've i talked to people. I think it was – I don't know if it was Rich McCabe. Somebody in the NFC South before a game was telling me, like, and, and Jameis hadn't been playing particularly well, but every time you play a Jameis Winston team, what what you hold your breath for is that he's going to make some unbelievable play, right, down the field, extend the play, run around, that you just can't defend. Like, you can't account for it, right? Um, it's unconventional. Um, now, he's trying to play within the structure of the offense. He's saying the right things about, hey, I know, you know, I can't put it all on my shoulders. When it, you know, Throwing the ball away is a good idea. Checking it down and punting is how you win football games in this league. So he had a ringside seat as he says, for, you know, Drew Brees, not at his best, but still winning at, at an incredible rate, right? Wins another division, even even being limited just by not making mistakes, just simply by not putting his team in bad positions. So if that lesson is learned, then you've got one hell of a quarterback that's going to tear it up this year. And the Bucks better realize that, you know, they're going to have to play great to beat the Saints uh, once, much less twice, and win the division. However, folks, just wait till the regular season. It's, you know, 
it, it's not about one or two throws a game. It's about the three or four decisions he makes that can get you beat. It's ball security or the lack thereof. It's the quick twitch decisions when teams are taking away what he wants to do and he has to adjust and he has to go through his progressions, one, two, three, four. And then if four is not there and he extends the play, what does he do then? Um, So there's a lot of highway between here and Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. And, and, And like I said, no one's watched Jameis Winston more in the NFL than me. Um, he's a good quarterback. He has he has the physical tools. He certainly has the desire. I think he's done, and I think he's been humbled, uh, at least for now. That may change after this game. But he's been humbled by the position he put himself in, um, and he was willing to be humbled and learn and take, you know, take a, a year to sort of be mentored, if you will. By I'll Drew get that Reese. Harvard education. Get the Harvard. That's right. The quarterback, Harvard quarterback education he talked about. So I don't know if he's magna cum Jameis or what, but um, but he certainly looked good against the Jaguars, who, by the way, are the worst team in the National Football League. Are they the worst or is it the Texans? Well, it's probably the Texans. You're right. But they did get the number one draft pick. They were the worst last year. I don't know. I don't think they're probably the worst this year, although they could be. Look, Urban Meyer. What little Harry has left? I mean, I want to see. You know, he lost nine games at Ohio State. I mean, the entire time he was there, nine. He may lose nine in the first eleven weeks of this NFL season. He's about to embark on. And from what I've seen, seventeen games, not sixteen games this year. (laughs) That's right. And from what I've seen of Trevor Lawrence's offensive line. God help him. I don't know if he's going to make it through a season. I might start card. I might start Minshew as well, just to let him get the crap knocked out of him for a while. Um, Herb hasn't, by the way, named a starting quarterback yet. It's kind of ridiculous, right? But well, he maybe he's thinking about you know what? Let's yeah. not do what the Bengals did to Joey Burrow. Well, you know what? He said as much. He said there's a lot of quarterbacks, right? That if you put them out there before they're ready, you could lose them. And lose them forever. Well, I don't think Burrow was out there before he was ready. I think he was out there without an offensive line. Well, well that's kind of what I meant. Like, if you put it not before they're there, I, I misstated that. Not before they're ready, but before you can protect them, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. you could bury a guy if he's getting, if he becomes gun shy. If he starts getting hit and getting hit and getting hit and the talent around him isn't helping him, um, you certainly can change his, his level of confidence and he may not get it back. So you got to be careful. You don't want these guys to get gun shy. But um, Lawrence doesn't seem like he's going to back down from a fight. I mean, he's he seems very capable of standing in there and, I guess, uh, willing to take some of those shots. But um, that's something that Meyer has to neg- navigate. But, boy, folks, it's going to be interesting. The Bucks and the Saints, this is going to be a battle. This is going to be a battle. This is not going to be Tampa Bay, you know, deciding whether they can rest players in week 15. I don't think it's, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Sean Payton's team is good. They need help. They need more help. They've got enough. They got a tight end hurt. They've got a lot of injuries to say the very least, but, um, but then, you know, if Jameis wins the job, then Taysom Hill can resume sort of that specialty role. And that helps their offense too. Um, if he'll take Drew Brees out of a game for Taysom Hill, he'll take Jameis Winston out. To keep mm-hmm. him in the offense. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. 
All right, so we got uh, our mailbag tonight. Oh, there's a uh, – we'll do this uh, probably later in the week, maybe tomorrow. Tom Verducci wrote a really interesting column in Sports Illustrated. And if you're a Rays fan, I think it's a must-read, but I don't know that you're going to enjoy it. But he asked some very important questions, um, sort of backed up by by stats, if you will, by by figures. And it's about – sort of the gist of it is – you know, are the Rays, the headline is the Rays are winning efficiently, but at what cost? They're a model postmodern franchise. That doesn't mean their style is good for baseball. And what he focuses on is pitching and the fact that they burn through these guys at an unbelievable rate um, and, you know, use the options like they're never going to run out of them. Um, and the result has been a good number of injuries to these pitchers, whether it's arm angles, spin rates, all of this stuff. And so it'll be worth diving into uh, later this week. And uh, we can also, you know, if we talk to Mark Topkin or maybe Neil Solons later this week, we'll ask him about it as well. But uh, we'll, we'll check out the Tom Verducci article. I'm sure we're going to be discussing that here uh, in the new fear, near future on Sports Day Tampa Bay. But today... We're here for the mailbag. You have a lot of interesting questions, so let's get started. We'll start with Jay, who said, Buccaneers talk all offseason has been about bringing back all the starters, concentrating on depth in the draft, also hearing stories about how hard it will be to find a spot on this team. So why are the backups looking so bad in the preseason? I get there's no actual game plan and things are kept simple, but they're just flat-out terrible against other backups. Well... I don't have an easy answer for that. Um, I would say that when you have, you know, typically preseasons, you know, this is the first year they've had three games, and we weren't sure how they were going to navigate this, right? The first game, I think they played a total of six plays with their starters on offense anyway. Um, it ended with a sack. It wasn't pretty. The uh, The second game, they decided to play nobody simply because they had had two joint practices with the Titans that were fairly physical, and in those practices, you can protect the quarterback, the franchise, without getting them hit, which is important, and still get some full-speed work minus the obvious contact, which is no small thing, by the way. It's it's really not football if you can't hit the quarterback. But that said, um, when you go out there, you know, a, a lot of preseasons, um, you'll have sort of a mixture, right? You'll have some guys that do start or occasional starters that will play later into games. I mean, this year, because they have so many returning starters, um, they pretty much try to protect all of them, right? So you got 22 guys who, for the most part, haven't played much at all, you know, the first two games. And so even some of the key backups weren't in there. You know, like Cam Brake didn't even dress the other day. Anybody that has so much as a hangnail or an injury, they're not putting them out there. So, you know, what you've got, don't forget this too, that, that when you win a Super Bowl, your draft picks are last, okay, in each round. Um, now, nothing wrong with Joe Tryon, you know, uh, Stroinka. Um, he's been phenomenal, and I, I think he's underdrafted. Um, but you took a quarterback in Kyle Trask, who's a project, right? Um, most of your, you're so deep at receiver that the guys you're playing, once Tyler Johnson comes off the field, who are you playing? You're playing guys that probably, other than maybe – Darden won't land in the NFL. Um, so it's it's not, you know, you can only go so deep if you're playing an entire game. And 
you know, I'm not sure. I I don't think the the starters have played much in the other other teams either. Um, but by the same token, they they've probably played a few more. And you know, it's it's just been in the second game, Bruce Arians wasn't even trying to be balanced. They didn't even attempt to run the football. They basically said, "We want to evaluate quarterbacks, so we're going to try to throw it. We want to evaluate offensive linemen and pass protection. We want to evaluate wide receivers." So you do these things because you don't have that many roster spots available. Um, special teams, you're trying out different combinations as well. Uh, and consequently, it's been the offense that's let them down. I don't think the quarterbacks have been particularly bad. I think Griffin was in the first game. They've been victimized by drop balls. But a lot of the guys dropping those balls aren't even on the team anymore, and it's, and it's only the third week of the preseason. So it is, it is sort of a, a, a weaker uh, performance. It's not an excuse. Um, but I think when you have so many guys back on a Super Bowl team, especially those that have a, a few years under them, um, you, you just there's a big gap right between your first and sometimes second teamers, and then what's left. Um, you know, it's predictable that all but maybe three or four of those guys on the field in the last two games that weren't starters uh, and weren't key backups are probably going to be in the NFL, much less on this team. So I just don't think it's NFL football, and that's why it looks so bad. And and I'm going to blame it on just the fact that they're protecting so many of their of their returning Super Bowl players. All right, Kyle asks, do you see any scenario where Ryan Griffin makes the final roster and Blaine Gabbert does not? Barring an injury, I do not. Uh, and when I say injury to either Kyle Trask or or Blaine or Tom, um, you know they have four quarterbacks in the camp for the reason it, it saves their arms for starters but you know primarily Blaine Gabbert has already been essentially announced as as the backup that's the guy that Arians has the most confidence in he's four and four as a starter uh under Arians I think and you know um can work in this offense is is not unfamiliar with it and so for all those reasons he's the number two and then you're not going to cut Kyle Trask because if, if you put him on waivers, he's going to get claimed. He was a second-round pick, albeit the last pick in the second round. But he did enough things in the SEC, and with the quarterback landscape the way it is in the league, somebody would claim him. So you can't cut him. He's uncuttable. So that leaves Ryan Griffin, who is, with the new rules, still eligible for the practice squad. Um, And I don't think anybody would claim him. I don't think the tape is good enough. I, I haven't looked at every quarterback situation in the league. Uh, but my guess is that, um, you know, he will be cut. And then it's sort of not a automatic that they bring him back on the practice squad. And I say that even though it's a like a 16 or 17-man practice squad, you don't know where the injuries are on your team. So if you've got, for example, I know they're starting five offensive linemen are healthy and really six if you include Aaron Stinney. Um, but they got some guys hurt behind them, you know. And so – you may have to carry an extra offensive lineman on the practice squad early on. Probably want a kicker for sure. Um, what my point is is that quarterback would would be down the list of needs because you have three of them. Um, and it, it, first of all, is Ryan Griffin the guy that 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 you you know would would you want him back or you know at this point would you want to find another guy to develop on your practice squad if you carried another quarterback? So. You know, they did this with Josh Rosen, um, what, a year or so ago. Now Josh is out of football. 
So I don't see a scenario where he makes it without an injury to one of those guys. I think it's going to, but that's why if you're Ryan Griffin, that's why you're here competing. You can't control what's going to happen. And I think, um, you know, he had a better performance the second week, but he's, you know, he's 31 years old. He's only attempted four passes in, in the, in his career that counted completed two of them. And, and I don't know if he, if he, you know, is released that anyone else will sign him. So, um, the question is whether or not the Bucks make a spot for him on the practice squad. Well, following up on that, Narendra asked, last year McCarron was paid to sit at home by the Eagles in case all their quarterbacks were unable to perform for a week or two due to COVID. After seeing what happened with the Broncos last year, any chance of such a quarterback to be kept by NFL teams that way? Could Ryan Griffin be a contender for that for the Buccaneers? Again, I, I suppose it's possible it was Josh McCown that was in that situation. Um, I, I I think Josh is a rare bird because he's played for about nine different organizations. <laughs> um, you know, could you do that with Philip Rivers, for example, who's coaching high school football? If you got to December and you needed a guy, I suppose, you know, um, and he's kind of made noises that he might not be opposed to coming back after the football, the high school football season, which generally ends around Thanksgiving. So I don't think that's in the plans, but I would never say never. It's probably not a. It was probably a smart thing to do, especially during COVID. You know, the problem, the thing about COVID is, um, and it's not as bad with vaccinations now. But you know, back in the day when there were no vaccines, you know, you could have a position group like quarterback knocked out. Look, Denver played without one last year, and the and the mm-hmm. NFL made them do so because they sort of blamed the Broncos for the for the outbreak. So, um, it's kind of forward thinking. It's probably smart from an investment standpoint. Um, if you're going to pay Ryan Griffin though, I, I don't think that's the guy you pay to keep sort of in your, in your, you know, in your arsenal. I think if you're going to pay him, he's on your practice squad. Um, but you know, Super Bowl contending team, if Tom got hurt for any length of time and, and maybe you weren't getting the results you wanted from Gabbert, then, you know, maybe doing that for a Phillip rivers or somebody that would be smart. But I, I don't anticipate that, uh, at least not now. Randall asked, what is the likelihood of a fourth running back and six wide receiver making the team? For example, do we expect Keyshawn Vaughn and Jalen Darden to make the team? I do. Um, I think Keyshawn Vaughn's going to make it primarily because he's improved his ability to play special teams. Um, he's He can be a gunner. Uh, they clocked him at 22 miles an hour on one one uh, situation on special teams in, uh, in the preseason. They're trying him a little bit as a kick returner. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be something he can do uh, or do well, but uh, I think that experiment will continue. And don't forget this, too, that, um, you know, they drafted him in the third round. Now, he had no training camp, no preseason. He had some moments uh, last season, like I'm thinking of the Chargers touchdown from – you know, from Tom Brady, that was a go-ahead touchdown in their comeback win. Um, you know, on the, on the same play that OJ Howard got hurt, but he looks like a different player this year, and he spent a lot of time with Tom, gaining his trust, which you absolutely have to have. Uh, working out with with him, Brady, when or yeah, when he was at uh, like the Yankees complex, and then later at the uh, Advent Health Training Center, and you know, he he's a guy that is. Uh, improved his hands those two guys in front of him aren't the receivers that Vaughn Vaughn to me is a better receiver 
than either Rojo or Leonard Fournette. Now they've got another guy added to the Mexican Giovanni Bernard. So, you know, that's those three are are there solidly. None of them have a contract after this year. Okay. So Vaughn does. And for that reason and others, I think you want to keep, you know, that that influx of young players at positions on that you have control over. I think you want to keep that going. So um I, I I think he's one of the fifty three best players on their team. Uh that might mean that you go lighter at a defensive back uh or you know, an inside linebacker or some other outside linebacker, some other position. But uh, I think Vaughn makes it. All right. Greg asks, can you clarify the PUP and IR protocol? With OJ Howard still not 100% mentally, would he be a candidate for either of these? I'm sure teams come up with mystery ailments to hide players who haven't fully recovered from an injury. Yeah. Now, you know, this mental thing, like I mentioned that the other day, and maybe people uh, took that the wrong way. W- what I was saying is that OJ had a couple of big drops, his first two throws, I think, to him. Um, you know, one was an over route, I think, and balls in the air for a while. He did get one one or both hands on it, but didn't put didn't secure the catch. Um, and then he came back and he caught three passes after that. I guess what I was talking when I said mental mental hurdle is just simply that you know, you have to get to the point where you trust when you have something as, as traumatic as an Achilles rupture and you spend nine months coming back from it and there's some atrophy in the in the calf, et cetera, you're not gonna feel right. Okay. It's 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 still you're still a work in progress, right? Trying to come back from that to play football at at full speed. And so I think the mental hurdle I talked about is trusting that the surgery held up, trusting that you can cut the way you normally do that you can accelerate, decelerate all those things you have to do as a receiver. And so I just think it's time on task. I just think it's reps. I just think it's practice. And, you know, um, because he's still building that muscle, uh, you know, they're not going to overwork him now, uh, because they don't have to, their first game is still a couple weeks away. And I just think he's sort of on a pitch count in practice. Um, so as far as PUP and IR, it's not necessarily for mental illness. I, I suppose you could go, you know, if, if you had an issue, you can certainly go on one of those lists. The thing about IR this year is there's you can recall as many players as you want. They used to limit that to how many players can be designated for recall. You can recall anybody. So uh, PUP, you have to be physically unable to perform, and that is not him. He's passed his physical. If somebody can't pass their physical, you know, then it's possible you can put them on PUP. Uh, active or reserve. So um, those those lists seem to be designated for other things. I I think that Howard is going to be okay, and I don't think there's any intentions of of uh, you know of not starting the season with him on the active roster. I think you'll see a lot of him in this game Saturday at Houston, and you know they just want to build on not the first two drops, but the last three catches. You know he caught three in a row after that in traffic. Um, you know, sort of grimy catches. And so, you know, he, he's just got to get back to, to, to playing football. You know, he missed most of the season. I think he played four or five games, um, but they played 20. And then, you know, with this rehab, like you can't do anything on that ankle really uh, for some time because of that Achilles tear. So he's had to, he's had to do this in stages and he's just now at the stage where he can play football. So let's let him get out there a while, and and I don't, you know, we'll see how effective he is week one against the Cowboys. They've got other tight ends for sure, 
Uh, Brayton needs to get a little more healthy and, and practice more. But I think they're all just trying to get these guys to the starting line September 9th against the Cowboys. Tommy asks, how do the Bucks pick their uniforms for the season? Do they have to choose as soon as the schedule is released? Or does it go for all the other 31 teams in the NFL? I, I'm not sure about this. I will ask about this. I know all questions are answered 100% correctly, so quote me if you want to. I believe that you declare those um, at least in the regular season, probably in the preseason too, but before the year begins. In other words... Yeah, I've seen some teams have released their uniforms for yeah, the season. Yeah, they'll, they'll know what they're wearing in mm-hmm. December. And for the Bucks, um, what they try to do is in the later months or for night, for night games or anything after, say, October... Um, they like to wear red jerseys at home. Uh, prior to that, a lot of times they wear white. Why? Because it's hot as hell. Okay. And, you know, there's a theory that dark colors hold the heat and white colors reflect them. And um, that's sort of the way they've gone over the years. But um, you also, you know, will have declared probably a color rush jersey, which for the Bucks was all pewter last year, which was cool. So it just it just depends, but yeah, it's not like baseball where the starting pitcher might pitch it, pick it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hey, think man, the, the NFL is involved in, and Nike is too. Don't forget. So right, that's they correct. want to feature every uniform. So yeah, many because times. what it's marketing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, but, it's, it's but you also have to deal with the other team because if you're going to wear white, then the other team's got to come they in and wear color. That's correct. So, so everything it, is preordained. It's it's planned out. It's declared before the season and. Um, they stick to it. So when we get those combinations, we'll let you know. My favorite they wore the other day, it's just me, is the red tops and the white pants. I think that's the cleanest uniform they have. Um, everybody has an opinion. Some like the red tops and Peter pants. I think that's the Glazers' favorite for sure. Um, you know, but um, but yeah, it's it's you know, it's not like it's not like Oregon where they have ninety five combinations. <laughs> Thank God. Well, maybe soon when you can have different helmets next year. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Bring back the creamsicles. Michael asked a question for Coach Gruden. Any truth to the rumors that you called Chicago about getting Khalil Mack back in the trade? I'll tell you what, man. Everybody wants to talk about Khalil Mack. All right. The Mack attack, the Big Mac of the Bears. All I got to say is. I probably messed that up, man. <laughs> it probably wasn't a good good trade. You know what I mean? It's not going to go down in my Wikipedia page, okay? I'm not proud of that one, all right? By the same token, what if Chicago won with the Mac attack anyway, okay? I didn't see them in the Super Bowl last year. Let's just pump the brakes on Khalil Mack before you start accusing me of bad trades, all right? 
Maybe the question of the year. I'm telling you, Mike, you're hired. Uh, I want you on Sports Day Tampa Bay mailbag every week because this one should be for the audience. We should do a poll on this, Steve. Let's do it. Let's do a poll on it. I'll, I'll, put, it, I'll put a poll on Twitter. Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah. Sports Day Tampa Bay, who would you rather have? Who would you rather have? Um, this won't be popular, but I'm going to say it. Of course, now, you know, you, you, you also got to, we also got to agree that he's not going to take Blake Snow out of the sixth inning if we do this, right? I mean, we're well, all in agreement. It, it just said, which team would you rather have in a seven-game series? So it's not saying, it didn't even say it was the Dodgers you're playing or, I mean, you know, right, you're playing right, the right, Dodgers right. from last year, you're playing the listen, Giants from this year. Or Listen, you know, the thing is, the thing is, the lineup is better, unquestionably, this year. The uh, However, they've struck out as much as any team in baseball or damn near any team is in baseball. Um They've they've obviously scored a pile of runs. They've they've gotten better with Nelson Cruz. I mean, Meadows is their most consistent guy, and with a, just an RBI machine, Wander Franco is just getting better and better. So that move, um, you know, when they finally moved to Thomas and eventually Wander got here, was good. We know Rosarena. Nobody. He, first of all, he can't be as hot as he was a year ago in the postseason. Nobody has been. He set a record. So all that said. I'm going to take the 2020 race because I think the postseason is about pitching and defense. I, you know, you don't see many eight to eight to six games. You just don't. Now they may have to try to win those or six to four or whatever. Um, their bullpen has been terrific. Their starting pitching, the ERA has been about six uh, over the last couple months. So, listen, I I think if you could run, and and we're going to say last year's version of you know Charlie Morton, uh, Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I take that over two rookies and then Johnny Holstaff. I, I, I got. I just don't see how this is going to plan out. I, I know. Look, those you know McClanahan's special. Louis Patino's pitch well. Uh, they've got to Tom Verducci's point a cast of millions um, that they bring out of Durham and back and forth with options and, you know, use 66 pitchers in two years. If you're going to wear that as your badge of honor, that's fine. I'm not sure it's going to win you a World Series. I I think in a seven-game series, when you're facing the other team's one, two, and three guy over and over and over and over again, um, you're going to have to beat them with somebody. And, and you know, I don't know that they – I think Charlie Morton and Blake Snell and, you know, those guys would be, would be better in glass now. Uh, would be better matchups in the postseason. Regular season, God bless them. They're they're they may win more games than they ever have in their history. But postseason, I think I take last year's race. I'll disagree with you because I'll take this year's race. Okay, and, and I'll, a caveat. Okay, I'm going to assume that Fireisen, Fairbanks, Nick Anderson, mm-hmm. Glass. Now I assume you're assuming is out because he's. I'm out assuming he's on the. He's done. Yeah. So, but if I've is. got if I've got the full complement of the bullpen, my A bullpen, right? When you start saying your A bullpen is Anderson, Fire Eisen, uh, uh, Ras- uh, Rasmussen maybe in there, but McHugh, mm-hmm. uh, Kittredge, uh, you know, you start going through, you start having an A bullpen of seven or eight arms, right? You know, I'll I'll take that number of arms and that lineup because uh, you know. The Rays lineup last year, you had a few bats. And in the postseason, we know most of them went cold. 
but even throughout the season. I'll take this thick raise lineup with a bunch of arms in the bullpen I can mix and match throughout. And I've got another year of experience for most of these guys that now have played in a World Series, have gone up against those good teams for a couple years now. The Astros in 19, and then you know you took down the Yankees, you took down what the Blue Jays, you know those kind of teams in last year in the playoffs. The lineup, the, the, and, the hitter, you got a, a shot to take on the Dodgers. Yeah, not all the pitchers have. Not all, not all the pitchers, but but the lineup. I mean, I, yeah. I think I think this lineup is going to do a lot more damage in the postseason. I, mean, you I think so. You can't do. You can't really do worse than you did last season. Really. Well, that's that's but, true. That's true. But this lineup is so much thicker. Zanino is finally an offensive threat. You know, you've got Cruz, you've got Choi, you've got Meadows, who's an RBI machine right now. You no, got Wander like Franco, who's only getting better. I like him. Um, take your pick at third, in, 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 whether it's Joey Wendell or you know maybe Mike Brasso's back up. And then Brendan Lau's smashing home runs right now. Kiermaier's batting well in the nine hole. Uh, you know. I just in a Rosarina, you know what kind of player he is. I got no problem with their lineup. I don't know that they against the you know when you're facing mm-hmm. though the the best of the best, like when you're playing, um, you know the Houston Astros or mm-hmm. you know even the New York Yankees. Now that they're playing well, um, and they're trotting out you know twenty five thirty million dollar pitchers every night. At least at least they've got three of them that can start. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about that bullpen, and and those are impressive names added to what is already a lights out bullpen. However, built in, you're hoping for what one or two times, two times through the order with your starting pitcher, even Patino, mm-hmm. and and even um, McClanahan, you're probably not going to get past past the fifth inning with either of those guys. So so the third game, you don't have either one. So you're you every third third game you have a built in bullpen day. So. You know, if one of those guys get knocked out early, I mean, how many runs are you going to spot them? Let's say a guy goes out there and gives up two or three runs in the first inning. Uh oh, right? I mean, we're not, we can't just assume well, they're they're all going to be great and pitch five innings, and so you can, you're going to. Well, my th- my theory the is you're going to burn year. through that bullpen. You you might, but here's the difference this year: you give up two runs in the first, and you don't have to worry about. You don't have to take the pitcher out. Last year you did because you weren't sure you could score two runs, let alone three to win. Right. You're saying they're going to they're gonna bash their way back into it. I'm saying that their pitchers have a little flexibility this year, that you give up a run or two early, and it's not looking over your shoulder. It's not, I'm out of the game. That you're going to trust that the offense is going to score you some. Now, you start giving up four and five, that's a problem. But any yeah. postseason game that is, period, is that you have enough depth in the lineup now where you can afford to give up a run or two and not not have, you know, it, look, if Blake Snell had a 3 4 nothing lead last year, in that game, oh, he, he didn't take him out. In. It's he yeah. only got taken out because it was a one nothing game. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. You know, so and, if, and, if your offense and, can get you more runs, then you don't have to you don't have to sit there and panic if 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 you're if you've got a one zero lead and you're worrying about a pitcher, you know, McClanahan coming out because it's one nothing and he's going through the order for the third time. You don't have to worry because you think your offense can score enough, particularly in the seventh inning on. Mm-hmm. And and I just I like having another year of experience and and including. For, for the the managerial staff has another year of experience yeah. in the postseason. Well, what did they learn from it's last a, year's postseason? Well, it doesn't matter what they learned because they have an entirely different operation. In other words, they're going to have to do it with their bats. Well, sure, they're going to have different the bat, bats and bullpen. That's it. It's going to be mm-hmm. bats and bullpen. And and like I said, heaven help them 
even though you might think you can come back in games and no one scored more runs after the seventh inning than the Rays. But heaven help them if somebody jumps on one of those starters in the first or second inning and you can't go any longer with them and you're looking at, okay, tomorrow we got Louis Patino. God help us, we got to get five. And then the third day, we're all bullpen. So what happens if you get to that third game and those guys are all hanging down there? You only have so many pitchers. You can't have 25 well, pitchers. Presumably you're going to have a guy like Fleming or Yarborough who is going right. to take some bulk innings. They're not going to start. Right. But what they do now with that bullpen mm-hmm. is what Tom Verducci wrote about. Mm-hmm. You give me two grid innings, and I'll show you I'll show you a trip back to Durham where you rest, and then we'll bring you back in three days. I mean, they can't do that in the postseason. No. Okay. So, you know. But, but you also have an, kind of an expanded pitching staff in the postseason because you don't need five starters. Like a regular. No, that's you true. Know, you, you know, you need three to four starters. So you, that's there's, true. there's some extra roster spots that become pitchers. Yeah, become bullpen. Well, they're going to have to lengthen their bullpen because they're they're basically saying we're going to pitch one game with all bullpen. So I don't know. I mean, it look there's great valid points on both sides, and and it, it'll be a great poll question that we'll put up. But um, but I'm gonna I just w- with last year's Charlie Morton with last mm-hmm. year's Blake Snell and last year's I mean to have your ace back right. I mean he's mm-hmm. sitting here with Tommy John. I don't think there was a better pitcher in baseball than Glass now. At you know, towards the mm-hmm. end of the year. So, now, if the Rays had glass now this year, would you would you change your vote? Yes, one hundred and fifty percent. Okay. Would. I I just think they missed that that marquee. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going up against the other team's ace. I mean, there's just teams that are gonna that you know, it's a little like football. Like when you ask me who's gonna win a football game, and I don't know, I'll look at the coach and the quarterback against the other coach and the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why they put the starting pitching matchups in the paper, right, or online or wherever you get them, because you tell me who the starting pitchers are. Somebody's going to be heavily favored uh, many nights against the other guy. He just is just better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to guess that when you're paying $25, $30 million to your ace and you're the Yankees or the Astros or, you know, one of those teams, they're just better. Doesn't mean you can't beat them because they've beaten all of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, on that night in the playoffs with the stakes as high as they are, you know, I just think you're overmatched, and I I don't. And then if you lose those games, you lose one of those games. You got to come back in a couple of days, and you got the same matchup again, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure on some really young guys. And I know this whole this whole idea, it's sort of the Rays mantra now is well, talent over experience. Well, yeah, because you have no talented experience, you got rid of those guys. You got rid of Morton. You know, Snell isn't mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, and and your ace is hurt. So you really don't have a choice, but uh, it's a great question. And yes, I would take this year's team if Glass now was there because I think he could match up with anybody's ace. I think he gives you a chance to win that game every time he throws. And because of that, we're still in the series. You know, he can mm-hmm. keep me in the series even if I lose a couple games afterwards. Yep. Kyle asked, "Is the combination of Mike Zanino and Francisco Mejia the best catching tandem the Rays have ever had? Both are solid behind the plate and have shown a clutch element and a pop at their bats." Oh, I don't think there's any question. I, I mean, I guess we could sit here and go through the tandems over the years, but you know, I mean, how many tandems? I mean, Wilson Ramos no, is the only one that's come close to Zanino's offensive production, right? No, I mean, if you combine the two of them, they've hit what thirty mm-hmm. something home runs, mm-hmm. and 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 I also think that you know, what's stunning about what Zanino has done, okay, is 
the number of at-bats he's had. <laughs> he hasn't had that many at-bats. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's hitting a home run like one every like nine point something at-bats. It's crazy. Um, Mejia has played quite, quite a bit. And you know mm-hmm. what? Maybe that's helped Zanino. Maybe it's helped Zanino that you've got a left a switch-hitting catcher who absolutely has come up with some huge knocks in this mm-hmm. season. I mean, game-changing. Game you know, he had five RBIs one night, had a big blast the other night to clear the bases and, and separated the game. Um, maybe it's to Zanino's credit that he feels mm-hmm. better at the plate because he's not so beat up by catching every game. But, yeah, I, I, unquestionably that this is the best tandem of catches the Rays have ever had. I don't think it's close. The offensive numbers alone are the best in baseball for the catching position, in baseball. Well, and I think another aspect that's – not looked at and underrated in this is with the amount of pitchers the Rays use, oh. the amount of work on that side of their How game. How do they remember Zanino what they all do, do? Yeah, right? I mean, like Managing that staff oh. defensively, knowing how many pitchers and in, in the shuttle back and forth between and Durham. And, so different, you know? Tampa, but yeah, and, and, and handling that and then going out and performing offensively. It's remarkable. It's, you know, both are having fantastic seasons. No, for you know, Zanino had three pass balls the other night, but hey, <laughs> that might be, that might be the bad, the bad side of trying to handle 66 pitchers in a year. But um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy job. It, it's the tools of ignorance. It's the hardest job in, in baseball. And these guys have, have done it and, and kept their offensive numbers like at a point where they've never seen before. So yeah, uh, that's one strength of this of this baseball team is their catching, no doubt. Michael, we'll answer your question about Tyler Glasnow's comments uh, when we do the the one about Tom Verducci as well later this week. So there you go. We'll okay. get to that question then, but we'll end with this. Drew had asked, coming off the Field of Dreams game a couple weeks back, what is your guy's number one baseball movie? I'll list a few. It says Bull Durham, The Natural, Field of Dreams, Eight Men Out, Babe, The Sandlot, Moneyball. What are yours? Um. Well. Without hesitation, mine is Bull Durham. Uh, but he mentioned a couple there that I do like. I I find myself watching Moneyball because it's a true story. I and like Moneyball a lot. It's the story of the race. But you know, to 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 watch that unfold, and I thought you know that Brad Pitt did a remarkable job. Um, you know, the guy that played Art Howe, who you know has passed away, was a great mm-hmm. actor as well. Um, just the whole thing was, and, and and I forgot because we didn't, you know, we lived it, but we didn't live on the West Coast. That you know, the A's won twenty games in a row. Mm-hmm. That's just unbelievably hard to do, to win twenty in a row, um, and to see that franchise turn around when, you know, they just had wholesale like, nope, Giambi, he's gone. Uh, you know, I mean, it was Carlos Pena trade, Carlos Pena trade him. Like, I, I mean, you know, it, it was it was stunning at the time, and it worked. And it changed baseball. And it's what the Rays are doing today. It's what the Red Sox, to some degree, have done. Um, you know, and, and so uh, I, I think for its historical purpose, for the way it's the, the, it was put together, it's an excellent movie. Um, Billy Bean, I remember as a, a top pick of the New York Mets. Um, I knew some guys in the Mets organization. I knew when he was at Jackson, there was a player at Arkansas State there that, that was in Jackson at the time. Um, so I, I kind of lived that story of him as a player. Uh, and then he goes on and becomes a general manager and, and the whole Moneyball thing. So I love Moneyball. I'll watch it. It's one of those movies I'll watch when it's on. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite is Bull Durham. And simply because um, it, it just, 
it's it's a wonderful story. Um, it it it. What I like about what I like about Bull, Bull Durham is probably different than what most people would like. What I like is I think Kevin Costner is believable as a catcher and as a hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can swing the bat. Um, but what I like is the conversations he has with himself at the plate. You know, that's what's in your head. And if you played the game, you know, you sit there and you go, okay, I'm going to look fastball. Quick hands, quick hands, quick hands. You know, like um, make it be up, make it be up. Like if the guy's down a lot or just, you know, come on, bring it, bring it. Come on. And, you know, you have those conversations with yourself and then you beat yourself up the same during the same at bat when you screw up. So the mental aspect of that, you know, the, the conversations on the mound were funny. Um, the road trips, when I can get your rain out, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't actually cause rainouts, but I know what we did when we had one. Um, and so, uh, and, and I just think the whole, you know, minor league baseball um, and, and, you know, that franchise, Durham, the Durham Bulls, mm-hmm. uh, the baseball Annie, you know, uh, Annie Savoy. I mean, all of it was just really well done. You know, Tim Robbins, not believable as a pitcher. I mean, there's some, some elements that are really bad, but yeah, to me, to me, Bull Durham, uh, even to this day, I think I think you turn on Bull Durham, and it doesn't matter what year it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's relatable. It's relatable to minor league baseball to me. Yep, I like Major League, which he didn't list. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a movie when it's on, I just can't turn it off. Right, right. Uh, I think Bull Durham's my favorite as well, but Major yeah. League, it's just it's hilarious. I think an underrated one, and it's corny, is Angels in the Outfield, and yeah. it's goofy and it's stupid, but it's yeah. it's it's well yeah, done. You know, right. just for, for what it is. For what it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. You know, they'll show it on MLB Network periodically and you catch it. I mean, it's, you know, the acting in it's not real great. And, and yeah. you know, that. Now, but. I liked I liked Field of Dreams. I did. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, very unbelievable, obviously. But, like, still the story of the the story of the Black Sox scandal and everything is, is unique. Um, you know, so that, you know. And we just saw the bull, you know, we just saw the Field of Dreams game, which was cool. Probably the neatest thing baseball has done in years. So that was cool. But uh, yeah, there you go. It's a great question. We had really good mailback. You know what? Compliments to the questioners. Uh, we have some day. of the best questioners in in all of we podcasting. We do. We do. You guys are great. And thanks for thanks for participating. I'm still getting tons of of comments and IMs from people from all over the globe. I think me and you went through this exercise where you were, you were adding up the countries that, that people listen to this, uh, this podcast and span the globe. We really like do. Why world, world of sports. Yeah, that's right. Like Jim McKay spanning the globe. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for all of that. And, and especially your participation, you don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can send us questions anytime at, at sports day TV on Twitter. I'm, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball later this week, obviously, um, you know, with Tom Verducci's column about whether the Rays, while efficient uh, with their pitching, may not be so good. 66 pitchers in the last two years, so many of those injuries, so many of those shuttles between Durham and Tampa Bay, are they using these guys up? So that'll be something to get into. The Bucks. We'll begin uh, or continue, I should say, their preparations for their game on Saturday in Houston. The starters will play a half. That's the plan, Tom Brady included. Uh, so this will be their last dress rehearsal, really their first dress rehearsal, until they play the Dallas Cowboys on September 9th, which is just a couple weeks away. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to that. It's pretty amazing. 
And then the Rays uh, begin their series against the Philadelphia Phillies tonight. So that's something to look forward to as Nelson well. Nelson Cruz could play first base. That's going to be crazy. I, I just got to be a minute. on the IL, so. Yeah, that's not good. Got to be a minute have since a Nelson Cruz has yeah. played there. I mean, I don't know how he's going to do, but um, I suppose he'll. He'll remember yeah, you don't have the DH, and with G-Man Choi in the IL, it, yeah. you know, your options are kind of limited there. So right, if right, you right. want Cruz in the lineup, he's got to play somewhere in the field. So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, we declare Jameis Winston is uh, the presumptive winner of the New Orleans Saints quarterback The AP election. is projecting, or, or, or yes. SDTB is projecting? SDTB is projecting. Do they get all the electoral votes, or just is this a state that splits the electoral votes? How does this work? Well, I think uh, this is uh, it's really the Louisiana you know, politics in Louisiana are kind of screwy, as you may know, if you know yes. anything about Governor Edward Edwards. And I'll leave it there. Um, but yeah, just go back uh, through the history of that. Every almost every governor in that state, you could say that for. It's true. It's a ooh, Louisiana politics down in the bayou. It's a little different down there. Um, yeah, so it's a little strange, but uh, also the urban renewal going on in Jacksonville. Eh, 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 eh. Urban Meyer, not so not so sure he made the right decision going to Jacks. They're bad. They're bad. They might be Houston Texans bad, but they have a quarterback. He's going to get hit a lot. He got hit a lot tonight in this mm-hmm. game against uh, the New Orleans Saints. Again, as we're doing the podcast, um, Gardner Minshew is in. Any chance, under over, give me percentage that Gardner Minshew is your starting quarterback week one for the Jaguars. I'll set the over under at 35% chance that he could be your starter. I'll take the under. You'll take the under. You think there's no, it's Trevor Lawrence and that's well, that. Is it a home game or a road game? Uh, don't know. Don't know. Does if it it's matter. a home game, it's Trevor. <laughs> you think it matters? Because you don't I, want to get booed in your own stadium when Gart, pretty popular quarterback, mentioned. I think at some point the owner says Trevor's got to start. I agree. I agree with that. Plus, I, I don't think that's listen, the future of the franchise. That's the, your face of the franchise now. They've they've been talking about him being a generational talent, like a Peyton mm-hmm. Manning, a John Elway. But they've been talking that way for three years at Clemson. Mm-hmm. Not one year, but three years. Okay. So if you're Meyer and you came to the NFL to to, to draft this quarterback and coach mm-hmm. this quarterback, yep. and you think you've got that kind of, of talent, um, now, I don't want to put him in harm's way, but he's got to be your guy. I mean, what what are you there for? Well, I mean, I believe Trevor Lawrence is the highest rated quarterback ever to come out of high school. Right. In, in yeah. No, he's, and, he's and LeBron you know who's the second most. The second highest was the same year was Justin Fields. Not bad. Okay. You know, I mean, when everyone, you know, poo-poo's Justin because he went to Ohio State and Ohio State quarterbacks generally don't do very well in the NFL. Justin Fields was the second highest rated quarterback ever to come out of high school since these yeah. rankings have happened. And I would I would argue that he's the years, greatest. I'd argue he's the greatest Ohio State quarterback ever. Find me a better one. What are we talking? Yeah. I mean, if, if from pure talent, yes. Yeah. Well, or, Absolutely. And, and, or, and or maybe accomplishment, you know. I mean, he's yeah. done pretty well. Yeah. No, he's done well. I mean, he didn't win national championship, but he, yeah, but he he got him there. I mean, yeah, it was a hell of yeah. a game. I don't think it was his fault. No, um, no, not at all. I mean, he's a crafty out of him by Alabama's defensive line. <laughs> but Jesus, um, it put him in a blender. It was kind of like Mahomes in the Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't Patrick's fault, but no, no. But 
he did he did say he could play better. We'll also talk a little bit about Peter King's interview, his 19 minutes with Tom Brady. One day I'm hoping for 20. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, not a lot of revelations in that one. But, okay, we, we can discuss that. So we got lots coming up this week, a lot of Rays talk as well. And uh, make sure you check out our poll. Which Tampa Bay Rays team would you want to go to the postseason with this year? Would it be the 2020 team or the 2021 team? Great question. I took 2020. Steve took 2021. Tell us what your thoughts are on Twitter on that one. So for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.